0: Psalm 22, and I want to draw your attention tonight to verse 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Now I want to speak tonight about one aspect of our Lord's experience in his crucifixion that ought to much humble us and cause us to love him even more earnestly than before, whenever we consider it. That is what happened to his clothes at the cross. The parting of our Lord's garments, even as the text says here, they part my garments among them. This has struck me, and it has done so for two reasons. First of all, all four Gospels record it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John mention it. None of them can let it go by. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each give a verse to it. And John, who very often does not repeat Matthew, Mark, or Luke, he mentions it and does so with two meaty verses. He enlarges upon it. Even though Matthew, Mark and Luke have all recorded it. And then secondly, Matthew and John, they both point out that this parting of the garments has prophetical significance. That it is predicted by the word of God. And so they say it is a fulfillment of scripture. And so I think we ought to pause here especially as we're coming to the Lord's table and as we tend to think about the cross on the communion day and the sufferings of our Lord I think we should pause here at the parting of the garments of our Saviour. First of all I want to give some attention to the Old Testament reference here in Psalm 22 and then we want to look carefully though briefly at the four gospel accounts of it also and then thirdly we shall reflect upon the significance of this event and some teaching instruction that we ought to draw from it. So let us, congregation, then, as we think about this, tread very carefully and respectfully. Especially when we come to the cross, we must give our undivided attention to the Lord, and especially when we think of what's happening to his clothes and his nakedness upon the cross. We ought to tread carefully and it ought to have a profound impact upon us just to think upon it. First of all, then, the Old Testament scripture, Psalm 22 and the verse 18 here. This 22nd Psalm is a great messianic psalm. It commences, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And because the Lord Jesus said those words on the cross... It is commonly believed that he made this whole psalm his own prayer and he prayed the whole psalm on the cross, and it's been known as the Psalm of the Cross. So it's the one that the Holy Spirit authored through David for Messiah, for his comfort in the shame and the agony and the pain of the cross. Psalm 22. Its first verses, as I say, form the cry, but it is the verse eighteen that interests us tonight. And this is the verse that Matthew and John actually quote. They actually quoted Psalm twenty two, verse eighteen. We see that these words are the words of Jesus, and therefore he undoubtedly prayed them, and they were written down to go into his mouth. And there is a the usual parallelism in the verse. They part my garments among them, and cast lots upon my vesture. So the garments are parted somehow somewhere or other. Further than that, the dice comes out, and the lottery is done in some regard to where the garments are to some part of the garments, the wicked gambling upon the garments. That is done by the wicked ungodly men at the foot of the cross. So the garments in both parts of the verse are the subject of the actions. First of all part it and then divide it among them. Now they're not parted from him. The Bible is silent about that. The Bible doesn't let us see him being stripped. It covers that up. But the clothes are lying in the pile. That's what the Bible shows us. Lying in the pile. And then they're parted from among the pile to be distributed and to be gambled upon. So we don't see him stripped, but the thought is that he is, that he's naked upon the cross, because that was the common experience in crucifixion in the Roman Empire and by the Romans. There used to be a saying in the Roman Empire. Naked as as newborn babes. And, and we sometimes have, have said that naked as a new baby. But the Romans would have said, naked as a newborn babe and the crucified. So there was the shame and the reproach of the cross in that regard. But notice how the verse is couched between verse 17 and verse 19. Because in verse 19 the Lord is saying, I may tell all my bones. They look upon me and stir upon me. And so this is a clear reference to the the nakedness. The telling the bones here is is counting the bones. You see, you can't tell your bones, you can't count your bones because you have clothes on. But whenever you're naked, you, you, you hang your head in shame and You can count the bones. It's maybe all you want to do is to count the bones. He counts his bones. He can tell every one of them. He can tell them all. We close our eyes. We bow our heads with them. We don't look either. We bow our heads and we go on. But not the wicked. They look and stir upon me. And then they part my garments among them. And cast lots upon my vesture. So our our Lord's head is hanging. And he tells us bones. But their heads are not hanging. Their heads are proud and arrogant. And they mock him. And they reproach him. But we hang our heads with our Lord. We bow our heads with our dear Saviour. We don't read of the stripping, but it took place. We read of the pile of the garments. On the other side of the verse is a prayer. Verse 19. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. You see, he he prays to his father to cover him. He prays to his father to surround him and to be with him. He loses all. Everything goes. Even his clothes go. He loses all. All are parted from him. All is far from him. And he's destitute. And he says, oh Lord, don't you be far from me. Be near to me, so let me not be stripped of thee. Help me, strengthen me, uphold me, sustain me without delay. Immediately give me your help and your presence. You know, our Lord was poor and needy on the cross. How poor and needy He was destitute. you remember we looked at that word in Hebrews, destitute? The people of God were destitute in their trials. Well, our Savior was destitute as well. He hadn't even the covering on his back. The man of destitution. Christ, the destitute. The man stripped of all and he was stripped of all for us. He was stripped of all for you. That's particularly what we want to remember and reflect upon tonight. This is for us. Stripped for us. His garments parted for us. So that's how this verse that is quoted by Matthew and John is framed here between these two verses in Psalm 22. But let's now attend to the Gospel accounts And as I thought about how to approach him, I just decided to go with the church order and the arrangements of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John according to our New Testament. And in Matthew 27, verse 35, we have the first reference. They crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Again, the crucifixion is of a naked man. The garments lie on the ground after the crucifixion. They crucified him, pierced his hands and his feet, and then after they crucified him, the soldiers begin to relax. Before they begin to relax, they begin to claim the booty, the garments that are lying in a pile. They're going to get their reward. They're going to get their payment. For the work that they have done. The payment comes from the booty. From all that the, that the man crucified possesses. They own now. And divide among themselves. So this is the reward of their deeds. The clothes. Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These garments. Are their Payment. And they're sitting down now to, to divide it out among themselves. Now Matthew doesn't tell us how many garments. He doesn't tell us who done the dividing. He's very vague like the psalm. How many things there are that are part of we have no idea. How they're part of we have no idea. Whether the lot is cast on all the parts. Or whether there's one thing in Pacific in mind that's in the lottery. Matthew doesn't tell us. He doesn't paint the picture. He is just struck. That this is the fulfillment of scripture. That the word of God has predicted this. And now he sees it taking place. And he's struck by that. And he wants us to be struck by that. This is the one who fulfilled scripture. This is him. This is the suffering servant. This is the Messiah. This is the fulfillment of the Word of God. This is the one who fulfills the prophets and the Psalms. This is Him. And He's telling us the Bible is true. And He's the one who fulfills the Bible. And and Matthew is a gospel to the Hebrews, of course. And this is one of Matthew's favourite expressions that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, that it might be fulfilled, which was written by the prophet. This is one of his favorite expressions. And and here it is again. At the cross. This fulfillment. Here's the proof. He's the one in the Psalms. This is him. And then Mark. Mark chapter 15 verse 24. We read. When they had crucified him. Again. We're not told about the hammering of the nails. We're not told about the stripping of him. Or anything like that, they just crucified him, and then his garments that are there. After that, depart, the separate, the weep, casting lots upon them. And Mark gives us this new piece of information what every man should take. Now, of course, that doesn't mean every man there, because there were multitudes there, but there's a little group in particular. Of soldiers, what all of them should take. Everybody's going to get something. One of the soldiers is going to get something. All of them, however many they are, they're going to receive something. So again, Mark is vague. We're not told how many lot items there are. We're not told how many lots were cast. And we're not told what lots were cast upon, but any particular items. But there is an indication that no soldier was left out. In fact, we're not even told that it was soldiers by Matthew or Mark. But they all went home with something. And then Luke, Luke 23, verse 34. Luke introduces the saying here, that the garment story here at a different point. Luke tells us that, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so Jesus has been crucified. He's on the cross. The soldiers are just about to divide his garments as they relax a bit more. And while they're thinking of doing that, Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Luke is particularly interested in the clothes of Christ. He is the one who mentions it many times, the clothes of our dear Lord. He is the one that told us how he was dressed at his birth and coming into the world. Twice he says it, in fact, about the swaddling clothes that wrapped him up and unfolded him. It's Luke that tells us that the woman touched the hem of his outer garment, his his coat. It is Luke who tells us that when he was transfigured, his clothes, his garments were white and glistery. And it's Luke who tells us that when he left the tomb there were behind in the tomb, his linen garments. So so Luke has a particular interest in the garments of Christ at particular points. And we don't want to go into the connection of all of this. But here at the cross he is bringing this out as well. Now he brings it out the briefest of all. The facts are stated as concisely as possible. They parted his raiment and cast lots. That's it. Simple as that. But he doesn't leave it out. That's the thing. It has significance, it has importance. It's stated, even if briefly stated. And quickly passed over. It's the one thing. No gospel writer omits. These garments of Christ. Being parted. Amongst the sinners. Most surprising of all. Is John's account. He gives the longest. And the fullest. And it actually runs into. Two meaty verses. We read part of John 19. And the verses are 23. 23 twenty four. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. That the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them. And for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. So John points out the scripture significance of this as well. Just like Matthew. And he quotes Psalm 22 and the verse 18. But more than quoting the verse. John paints it. And at last we begin to see what the verse means. There are five garments. And there are four parts. Four soldiers. Nobody else tells us that. There were four soldiers. A quaternion of soldiers. The usual number. At an execution. And each soldier gets a part from the four. But there's this special coat. That was carefully crafted for Jesus. Tradition says his mother did it. It's woven from the top to the bottom. It's lovingly made. It's very special. They don't want to rend it. They don't want to tear it into parts. Which is a thing that could have been done. Everybody could have got a quarter. There would have been some value in the material. But as a piece on its own. It was the richest trophy of all. Who is going to get it? They have a part each. But this vesture. And now we begin to realise that the vesture is not a description of the garments and their parts. The vesture is something on its own. And it's that they cast the dice for. They throw out the dice. We think a dice was involved because the the verb to throw is used. They, they They throw the dice upon it. Perhaps the largest number wins. But whatever that's how it is obtained so he paints the picture in three dimensional and at last we see it at last John has filled in the details for us and we see what the verse really means in the fulfillment in the history now we come to the significance of all of this why did the soldiers do this And what is this all about? And what is its theological significance? And what does it mean in the history of redemption for us sinners? Notice the word therefore, particularly in John's gospel. At the end of verse 24, John says something interesting here. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Therefore, he's telling us why they did this. They're telling us the real reason behind this. And it was because of the prophecy. God predicted it. God ordained it. God ordered it. It's in the scripture. It has to be fulfilled. Therefore these soldiers carry out the fulfillment of scripture. They didn't know that. They were fulfilling their own lusts. They were robbing the Lord. But they were fulfilling scripture. Fulfilling the word of God. This is a done thing at executions. There's nothing unusual about it. No doubt happened at all execution. The spoils of the execution. It was custom. It was tradition. But the real thing in all of this is. God's sovereignty. God giving a sign and an indication here. This is my Christ. This is my servant who suffers This is the one I have told you for so long about. In the Psalms and in the Prophets. Therefore the soldiers did this. So God foresaw it. And he foresaw it. Not because he knows what's going to happen. But he foresaw it because he orders it to happen. That's how God foresees you know. He orders everything. And because he orders everything as a sovereign God, he foresees it and he can foretell us concerning it. So it has prophetic significance that we might know Christ is here revealed to us in the cross. Nothing is without significance at the cross. You would know that. The crown of thorns, you know the significance of all of that. The pierced side and the blood and the water coming out. That is all significance. Symbolic significance. And his clothes and him being stripped and his garments parted has has significance. It brings us back to Eden, doesn't it? And all of that. Because mankind was naked at the start. But sin entered and death entered. Something got under our skin. So that we needed a covering. And Adam and Eve knew straight away that something had got under their skin. And now they needed a covering. It was death. Death had entered into them. Death had got under their skin. And now all men need a covering. And we all have to be covered. And God covered them and they were covered by death and through death because God didn't make them nice linen garments or nice woolen garments or, or leaves or anything like that, but the skins of beasts. Death. Death covered their nakedness and they were covered through death and they were covered by those dying in their stead. The naked were covered by the uncovering of the beasts. The beasts were stripped. The beasts were skinned. The beasts were made naked and exposed. That the sinners might be covered. And there's something of that here. At the cross. The covering that's being made for sinners. Sinners. In the stripping of the garments of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. It also brings us back to our birth. And our coming into the world. Because we have nothing when we come into the world. We're born naked. And we brought nothing into the world. Not even our covering. And it's certain also that we shall leave the world and take nothing out of it. Not even our covering. And we can contrast here our, the loving mother because Luke tells us his mother covered him. His mother wrapped him in swaddling bands, She unfolded him. It was the first thing that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was covered. His nakedness was covered in the love by his mother. He was in the loving hands of his mother. Even as he remembers here in Psalm 22, I was cast upon you from my mother's breast. From my mother's belly I've always been cast upon you my father. He's thinking about the mother's arms and the clothing of him and the enfolding of him in his mother's arms and now here he is exposed on the cross as a cruel man men have, have stripped him and made him naked. He's reflecting on all of these things. And let us think how poor our Lord became for us congregation. He doesn't even have the clothes on his back as he dies for us. No covering at the end. He had nothing. Though he was rich, though he had all things, though he gives us all things, everything is taken from him at Calvary. How poor he became for us. What love is this? How hard it is to give up things, even things that are very little for the Lord, and yet what the Lord gave up for us, all the glories of heaven and all the wonders of being with his Father. And then we're surely made sick here at gambling. I think we should view gambling at the nakedness of our Lord upon the cross and over his garments, Gambling is a terrible thing. Bible's against it, reasons against it, good sense is against it, but in the light of Calvary, we should certainly know beyond any shadow of a doubt of the evils of lottery and gambling. Surely we must be nauseated forever at the casting of dice and gambling. In gambling, someone always loses something that we gain by lots. Someone is made poorer by gambling that someone might be made rich. And Jesus has made the poorer so much more the poorer by the gambling of the soldiers. Christ's blood was shed at Calvary. And the devil, what does he do? He brings in the gambling table right to that very place. God has for us the cross, but the devil has for sinners the casino. Let us not forget this. Let us know then, as we trust in the blood of Jesus Christ, that gambling is an abomination to him. And we think of what is valuable. The soldiers, they find value in his clothes. I mean, they're really rags, for the most part. That he's worn as a Galilean peasant for years. The outer vesture, that was probably the most rich of all of his clothes. But what was it at the end of the day? It was still very little. And they choose that, they want that. They choose the trinkets. They choose the the, the little things. And on the cross. Is the Lord of glory. The dear and precious. Savior Jesus Christ. The heaven's best. Heaven's richest. Heaven's dearest. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. And they crucified the son. And they choose the trinkets. To embrace them. And how many sinners do that? The toys. The materials. The wardrobes full of clothes. The things gathered. The things collected. The materials. Poor man's rags. And all the while. The son of God. Neglected and rejected. Jesus is the valuable one. Jesus is the richest treasure. To possess him. To go home not with his rags. But to go home with him. And with the true covering that he has provided for us. In his nakedness. The covering of his sacrifice. To go home with that. Is better. Than to go home with his rags. So how men despise Christ. And what men rest with. And why do they do this? Why do these soldiers do this? Because of their blindness. Because of the depravity of their hearts. The congregation, I'm sure that we have wardrobes coming down with clothes. Unworn. Little worn. We're so blessed. We're blessed with clothes. But Christ is cursed. Even to the extent of his wardrobe. He doesn't even have the blessing of clothes as he's made a curse for us. Earth has nothing for him. Heaven has nothing for him. As he's suspended between both places, there, naked, between both, with nothing from either. Accursed. Without blessing. Christ didn't literally go to hell, but he had a hellish experience and his death and bearing the curse and the absence of all blessing hell is an awful place where there is no blessing only cursing the absence of blessedness is hell now the reason why he could bear away our sins in six hours of hellish suffering is because of the dignity of his person because while he is a true man he is also true God and the offering of himself as the God man is of such marvelous merit that in the six hours of the cross he can bear all the curse that is due to our sin but it involves the nakedness the parting of his garments So heaven strips him, earth strips him for the atonement for our sins that we might be covered by him. Spiritually we are naked you see. In regard to eternity and immortality we are naked. We have no covering, we have no clothing. We are stripped of all righteousness, we are stripped of all morality, we are stripped of all goodness. We're stripped of all dignity but Christ in the nakedness of himself and his sacrifice he gives to us the clothing of salvation. This is what this is about. The reversal of the Garden of Eden and the clothing of us with everlasting life. The clothing of us with immortality. The clothing of us with a righteousness that justifies and is as pure in God's sight as the righteousness of his own son. As in the fact that this is that imputed to us. So he is our clothing. Didn't the prophet say, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me With the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is what this is about. The stripping of him. For the covering of sinners. The enrobing of us. As many as you have been baptized into Christ. Have put on Christ. He clothes us. He covers us. It's like in baptism, though we don't actually be naked in our baptism, but nakedness is considered because we go in into the water. The water comes upon all our body, purifies all our body. And as we're baptized, it's only the symbol, of course, but we have to be baptized in reality into Christ by the Holy Spirit through faith. And so we're clothed upon by Christ. He covers us. We put him on remember how the prodigal when he come home the father said bring out the best robe and put it upon him you remember how the the man the the demon possessed man after Jesus met him he was sitting at the feet of Jesus and he was clothed Jesus clothed him Jesus clothes us and we'll come out of the graves Not as the damned with the eternal shame. I don't suppose they have clothes. They don't have the covering of glory. As they come out of the graves. But the people of God as they come out of the graves. They are clothed with immortality. They are clothed with the glory of God. I don't suppose it's real clothes. I don't know. Robes of righteousness. White robes perhaps. But. They certainly are clothed with the glory of God. Clothed with immortality as the Bible says. The resurrection of the dead. The wicked shall come forth unto everlasting damnation. Everlasting shame. But the redeemed unto everlasting glory. Clothed upon. If so be that being clothed we may not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened. Not that we should be unclothed. But clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. We have to be clothed with immortality. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption. And this mortal shall have been clothed upon with immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. And this is what's happening at the cross. Christ is stripped that we might be clothed upon. Now, by the righteousness of Christ. And at the resurrection, by the immortality of everlasting glory. Clothed upon. So let all seek the clothing of Jesus Christ. Let us take his garments of salvation as eagerly as those Roman soldiers took his rags. Let us take the garments of his salvation, the garments of his righteousness, and be clothed upon by them. You need a covering, sinner. You need a garment of salvation. You need Christ as your Saviour. And as we come to the table, let us come with appreciation. Let us keep the feast in appreciation of him who, though he was rich, yet for us became so poor, even to the emptying of his wardrobe for us.